0: Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians 11 today. We're back to 1 Corinthians. So please turn to chapter 11. Now, um, as you're doing that, I am interested to see uh, the next book that we're going to be going into is we're going to be going into 2 Corinthians when we get there. I'm curious to see who wants a standalone copy of 2 Corinthians. So like Uh, an ESV version. It's just the letter, just the book of Corinthians. And it has scripture on one side and like journal or note space on the other. I like them because not only are they really manageable and you can like stick them in your pocket um, and take them with you easily, but I like it because sometimes I don't have the patience to read scripture in the way I want to. And so having just the letter itself, just by itself, somehow makes it easier for me to do so. And i you know, write prayer or whatever else on the one side and uh able to read it and highlight and mark it up as as much as I want uh on the other. But if you would like one of those, let me know because I'm gonna be ordering some soon. So just me? Cool. Yes, two, three, okay, four. Uh and five. Six gone, seven. Okay, great. Just raise your hand if you if you would like one. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, alright. So I'll get I'll get a few of those. Cool. And then we'll all be cooler than you. Alright. I'm just, sorry. Um, So, let's pray. Lord, give me um, your words and your wisdom. Um, Lord, that you would, I would be able to pass on, Lord, what you have passed on to me. And Father, that I'd be able to do it by the work of your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, let your words be heard today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at our conference that we went to, the Rocky Mountain uh, Bible Mission, the Shepherds Conference, which I, I think I'll probably have Josh share a little bit about that next week. Um, um, the pastor there for his main main series that he was doing, he was sharing about some scripture that, that he said that pastors just avoid, that they want to have nothing to do with because it's difficult and because it's hard um, either to understand or to or to uh, try to understand in our modern context, um, today's scripture is kind of like that. So prepare yourself for that. It's, it's a verse, it's a section of scripture that people like to avoid. And I think, realistically, a lot of people like to avoid uh, parts of 1 Corinthians, because 1 Corinthians is primarily a letter of correction and encouragement. And they want the encouragement part, but they don't want the correction part. right? So, so as we're, we're getting closer to some of this encouragement part, um, but today, we're going to see um, primarily this correction of some things that are happening in the church. So, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. So, if we try to skip um, these sections that feel uncomfortable, um, or if we try to stretch them, then then what happens to it? Anybody? What happens if we try to shape Scripture to our lives rather than our lives to scripture what happens we lose the truth we don't have the entirety of the truth if the teaching of scripture is a square peg and we try to smash it into a round hole that is the way we live some truth isn't going to make it into our lives so we need to conform our lives to the word of god rather than trying to manipulate it into serving the way that we want to live and that's something that you need to decide on your own, something you need to resolve to do. Either the entirety of God's word is true or it isn't, right? You get all of it or you get, or you get none of it. You don't get to cherry pick it because if you cherry pick it, it's not God's word. It's whatever you have chosen. 1 Corinthians is, a, is primarily a letter of hard truth and rebuke and loving correction. And while all this sounds intimidating, it gives us a clearer picture and description of the character of God's love. It gives us the use of spiritual gifts, unity in the church, strong encouragement, and the reiteration of the promise of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians is the bomb. It's awesome. We should love it. It's a letter that both prunes us and grows us. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit because Paul is saying a lot there. He's saying, you know, Paul is glad that they consider his guidance and that they're maintaining the traditions of the church. Not that he invented, but that were given to him. That is of the apostles as they established the church itself. And in light of their reception, he wants to correct a problem. Well, another problem. In the Corinthian church, which this letter is to, he says in verse three, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about authority. He's talking about a, a chain of command, a God established order that he has made for his purpose. Hmm. I think it would be fair for us to draw this out literally. Uh, you can imagine this in your mind because I don't have like a whiteboard here or whatever. But, but God, ultimate authority over all of our lives, right? God creates man and puts him in authority over what? The earth, right? His responsibility, his role. Excuse me, I skipped one. Why didn't somebody catch me on that? the Father, right? That's what it's referencing when it's talking about God, right? Christ, man, and woman. And if you go backwards from that, the, the authority of woman is man. And the authority of man over man is Christ. And the authority over Christ is God, the Father, yes. When it comes to authority. We have a natural God-given structure to the way our lives should be. There is a distinction to make, one that is often confused, and that is the difference between authority and equality. So I want you to remember that today. Authority and equality, they are not the same thing, despite what your culture would tell you, despite what our culture tells us. Authority and equality are different things. When it comes to authority, we have a natural God-given structure to the way our lives should be. When we are born, we don't command our parents on what to do, and we don't provide them counsel. No, we're the newbies, right? We just showed up. And our parents become servant leaders in our lives. But just because they're servant leaders in our lives doesn't mean we have authority over them. No, our parents have authority over us. And everybody's like, yeah, huh, I know, (laughs) They are our authority and protection. They make decisions for us, and we follow them where they take us because we need them. Our lives are just as valuable as our parents. And they take special care of us. But when it comes to our role and authority, there's a huge difference. Think about this. A private doesn't command an army. But the private and the general have the same value. The new guy on the job site doesn't get to be the foreman, but they have the same value. And the intern doesn't get to direct the doctor, although I'm sure a lot of them probably try to do that. (laughs) These roles are all based on authority. And as disciples, we believe that Scripture teaches that there is an equality in the value of life and a God-given responsibility and roles that he has established. uh, We're going to take some breaks in between some of the scripture. So all the main scripture today is in blue, and all the supplementary scripture is in green. So that's our first green one coming up next is Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free. There is nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see how um, controversial this would be in its day for women to also be heirs of God? Normally it's men who are primarily the heirs, the, the, the head of their family. But here God is saying that in his kingdom, there is an equality. There is an equality. And there is an equality in the reception of the promise of the kingdom. Now, I hate doing half quotes of scripture, but the context of this next one is kind of complete. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a what? Of a woman, yes. Yes. And this is an essential component of the gospel, that Christ died to redeem all sinners who come to him. Not some of them, or just his favorites. Jesus demonstrates that God loves and values all people from least to greatest. And here's the point that you need to drive in today. This does not um, supersede, excuse me, The roles and the responsibilities that God has given us does not supersede our value. Our value is in Christ. So simply trusting him, that is the method by which we receive salvation. That is the method by which we become children of God. Not by our own efforts, our own qualities, or our own goodness, but simply by the goodness and the quality and the sacrifice of Christ do we become His. Now, our response to that is what's essential. Because our response to the salvation that God gives us, to that security of eternal life, both now and forever, that He gives us, that is what produces Works. That is what produces uh, obedience and submission. Father and son, mother and daughter, each are roles which define our lives, but they don't define our value. Which is more tragic? I think I have another slide here. Which is more tragic? If a 70-year-old woman, single woman, falls from a bridge, or if a 17-year-old man falls from a bridge... Or if a 7-year-old child falls from a bridge, which is more tragic? You kind of have to fight against that, right? Because there's there's probably one on that list that you have see a greater value on. They have the same value though. Truly we have favoritism in our hearts that God does not have. By the way, this is the bridge. But this is our problem, that we assign people a value when it's God who actually assigns us our value. This is an issue that God does not share with us. We are the ones who fail to see the equality in the way that God does. Children and women, singles and couples, thieves and teachers, sinners and disciples, God values us all all. And we see that in God's demonstration of his love, that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels and against him, while we were completely worthless and condemned to sin, Christ died for us. That's that's the perfect picture of how God sees our value. As his prized possession, as his greatest treasure, that is who he sees us as and who he has declared us to be. And then my next verse, Romans 2, 11, for God does not show favoritism. So be careful. We all have this natural resistance to authority, this natural resistance to submission and, and, servant, uh, and being servants to one another and loving one another and sacrificing for one another. But it's easy for us to ascribe value to people, Right? The guy who cleans up the poop at the parade, like behind the horses, right? Nobody's like cheering for him as he goes by. But the parade doesn't happen without the poop (laughs) picker-upper. Roles and responsibilities are different, but our value is the same. Um, Let's go back to our main scripture here, verse 3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And we can see that in Christ's life. Let's continue. Uh, verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head, un- his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. I think I've showed this picture before, but, you know, in like World War II, those women who uh, cooperated or who, who gave themselves to, to the German soldiers, right? Like, it was terrible, but the people of the town would shave their head and show them this. They, they have been dishonored. They, they don't belong to us. They have no submission to the ways that things should have been. Now, there's a lot of contention over the context of the Corinthian church, but we do know it's a mix of cultures, right? We have, we have Greek and Jewish and some others, but it's, <laughs> but it's all this mixed together. So all these different customs. In a similar way, we would go to a big city and see a bunch of different customs happening at the same time of people of different backgrounds, so we can ascribe the same to the way 1 Corinthians is. So the point of what's being said here and what we need to bring out is the, the symbolism and the, uh, and the prescribed practicality of what uh, Paul is talking about. So let me ask this. What does your head do? It holds your brain, it holds your brain right? And what does your head represent? It represents you, and it represents, like, if you have no head, then you have no you, right? There's a reason that the guillotine, right, removes the head from the body. There's a reason that they would do that, because it was, uh, even in ancient times, to do that. It was to be utterly defeated. Our head leads us where we want to go. You ever been driving before? Right? And you, like, look over at a road sign, or you're like, cow, right? And you find yourself that you've drifted in the direction you looked. Or on a motorcycle. Or on a motorcycle, which you probably shouldn't do. (laughs) Just fun fact. (laughs) That's because your head leads you. You literally do it. Like, even when you're walking, your head leads you where you're going. This is the spirit of all that Paul is writing, that they have a tradition which is reflective of their relationship with God and the authority established by him. Our head is a symbol. Whose authority do we submit to, if any? Whose authority do we submit to, if any? We know what it means to pray, and that is to what? Anybody? What does it mean to pray? To talk to God, exactly right. So let me give you an explanation of prophecy here as well. The word prophecy in the New Testament refers to any utterance prompted by the Spirit of God or any utterance which is presented as such. It may be genuine or otherwise. And then 1 Thessalonians five twenty through 21 is, is, a, is a reference for that, right? We don't uh, despise prophecy, but we test them all. So in both actions, we are both praying and prophesying, we are interacting with God. And so this demands a holy fear, a reverence. And while God has invited us to treat him as our Heavenly Father in that special, gentle, loving relationship, we don't mistake his kindness for weakness. And we don't disregard who he is or what his role is as God. This respect is represented by the authority we are willing to submit to. Authority that he has established. And verse 7 says A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, if you go back, this explains verse 4 as to why he needs to not cover his head. Man is a representation and symbol of authority. He's one who carries a mantle of responsibility. And while we could try to confine this instruction to husbands and wives, Scripture teaches us how to conduct ourselves towards other believers. 1 Timothy five two five one through 2 says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but extort him as, exhort him as if, don't extort him, but (laughs) exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So there's this special respect that we have in regards to each other. So even though you might be single or married, we all have unity in Christ as God's family and treat each other as such. Verse 8 says, "For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was woman neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. They're complementary. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Well, what are the, like, because of the angels, what do the angels care, right? What is the relationship of the angels to the Father? One of servitude, one of submission, one that proclaims and declares his authority, And at the same time, the angels are watching us, right? Like, we will judge them for their actions and what they do. God established a chain of command, an order to his creation, one even the angels themselves submit to. And it's one that we demonstrate to them. We know that authority is good, but sometimes or all the time we try to resist it. When you uh, look at this sign, what do you think? Oops. Oops. When you look at this sign, what do you think? What's the natural reaction that wells up in your heart? Still, I, I want to go there. Yeah, I'm authorized, right? <laughs> I'm like, what if I told you that this is like a like a nuclear site, and if you go in there, you're going to get radiated. I'd be a liar, but, you know. (laughs) But we have a natural aversion to authority. We just do. What about the next one? What do you think about this sign? Can you read that? It says, smash the patriarchy. I actually had to edit it, because you could actually see through the sign a little bit to what was written on the other side. And you don't want to read what's (laughs) on the other side. But it's not one of submission, let me tell you that. Smash the patriarchy. Do you know what that means? Smash the authority. Smash the, the authority of the ancestors and the heritage of God's created order. That's, that's what it means. Now, this lady has her head covered. Do you see that? But this is, the, this, this is the modern application of this verse. While the world is tearing down order, identity, and submission, and they are attempting to destroy what God has created for our good, they have created this huge problem of chaos and, and disrespect. And this is part of what Paul is countering. He is countering this chaos and this disorder that comes from rejecting uh, the God-established order. That in rejecting submission to our authority, we are, in turn, rejecting submission to God. This... You know, uh, a thing we hear at this conference and that I've heard many times, right? The church has a huge problem. The church globally has a huge problem retaining men. Like, men don't want to come to church. Why do you think that is? They don't want to submit. It's because women dominate the church. That's why. You're stealing the role. Like, can you imagine, like, the amusement park ride guy? Like, his only job is to turn the Ferris wheel, right? That's his only job. And you put your kids on the Ferris wheel, and he's getting ready to push the button, and you push him out of the way. And now he just has to stand there to the side. Like, he's not going to fight you for it, but now you get to run the Ferris wheel, and he just kind of has to stand here like this, right? And then somebody's going to come up and be like, why aren't you doing your job? Somebody's doing it for me. Somebody's taking it from me. Maybe you don't believe me on all this, but hear me out. Equality in roles and authority are not the same thing. Let's, let's look to verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. This is the equality we're talking about. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from... God very good judge for yourselves is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair is it a disgrace to him but if that but that if a woman has long hair it is her glory for hair is given to her as a covering if anyone wants to be contentious about this we have no other practice nor do the churches of God this is how it is it should be obvious this is, a, this is an allusion as well to the exchanging of roles, right? Where men become women and men, women become men. Where they, they trade the roles that they've been given for something else. Either it's taken from them or, or whatever it is. Or they try to adopt something else. This is, a, this is a, an example of that. There is this authority that is God-given, for men to fulfill this is there is this role that they are to fulfill and so by having long hair and rejecting that authority and their responsibility they also too are doing something wrong so practical application first women your hair is your covering right look at that for long hair is given ad, to her as a what her oh. long hair is given to her as a covering now Side note, if you feel convicted that you need to wear a head covering, nobody here is ever going to condemn you for that, right? Because we are led not only by Scripture, but the personal convictions that the Holy Spirit lays on our heart. Okay? So if you see a woman walking around at Safeway or whatever it is with a head covering, you understand why she's doing it. And you definitely can't condemn her for it. Because by her very act, she is in submission to God. That's that's what she is trying to accomplish. But women, your hair is your head covering. That tangled mess that you brushed this morning, did you know that its purpose is to glorify God? Mm. Not you or strangers, but God. And it itself is a symbol of your role and your responsibility it demonstrates God as your authority. And by, by wearing it in that way, everybody's got hair. But if we wear our hair in that way that demonstrates the authority of God over our lives, mm, now your hair is really fulfilling its purpose. Now it looks really beautiful, right? Even more, it is an outward symbol of your submission to your husband, and by so, ultimately, to God. And I have to make that clear, right? Like, your husband is not God. That's, that's not the way it works. I, when I was in Ukraine, I, I asked my friend Yarek, I was like, "What's the what's the?" He was he was talking about his family and his wife, and I said, "What is the what is the greatest quality or, or value of, um, of Ukrainian women?" And he said, "Servant hearts." Mm. And now men, we are not switching roles and becoming a disgrace by rejecting the image of the one we represent. It means we have a responsibility that we can't forfeit. A responsibility to spiritually lead our families that we can't forfeit. That we can't give up. Because we, most of us know, most of us are stra- married to strong women. If we don't do it, they're going to do it, right? That, that's, just how they, that's just how they are. That's the way that they're wired. Something has to get done. And so if you recognize that in your marriage, if you're recognizing that dynamic, it's time to, it's time to step up. It's time to uh, seek God first as to what it is that he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. Um, and submit your lives to his authority because only by submitting our lives to God's authority can we, can we fulfill that role, period. But men, we are an image of our Creator In our uncovered state, we likewise submit to his commands. We put nothing between Christ and ourselves, nor do we seek our own will, but instead we seek the will of God. In this state of submission and complete reliance on God, we can and do fulfill his orders, leading and caring and providing and protecting. And only with our lives fully subject to Christ can we please God. So as disciples, for all of us listening, we don't create our own identity. God creates who we are. We don't make us who we are. God makes us who we are. So despite maybe how we feel or any of that, we can understand just based off of men and women of how God has created us, grandmothers and grandfathers and and children, we can understand the role that God has made us for and we can submit to that. We belong to God. And we don't attempt to rewrite God's creation, upsetting the authority that he has established. Men will be men, women women, just as God created us male and female. These roles, whether we want them or not, are what he has established. So to please and honor God, we fulfill them. For what purpose do you use the freedom that Christ has given you? Is it to dominate? To overtake? Or is all that you do in submission to God? I'm sure you've experienced this in your life, or at least heard of relationships where there's this power struggle that happens. Who wears the pants or calls the shots? Or this horrible marriage advice where you just do everything your wife says. Mm. I'll tell you, it is a terrible idea to forfeit your responsibility. Because that's what she really wants you to fulfill who you're supposed to be. while your desire should be to please her and to serve her with your life. If you don't lead your family, both spiritually and physically, your wife is likely to get frustrated and try to do your job for you. And women, in your families and in your church, be intentional to serve your role, role in a way that brings honor to everyone, that builds up your husband and shows respect to God's authority. There is great Great honor in willing submission. This is exactly what Christ calls us to do towards him. He tells us to keep his commands and to love one another. We believe in him and we keep his commands. By this, we know that we love him. I'll probably be skipping ahead here, but, but think about that, ladies. Even, even if that's—I mean, when we do marriage counseling or anything like that, that's the, that's the biggest thing that women have a hard time with, right? Like submitting to their, to their husbands in that, in that way. But we all know or should know that marriage is a picture, a symbol of Christ and the church. And in the same way, Christ submitted to the Father— And it is by his submission to the Father that we were saved. The greatest act in all of history, the greatest rescue that ever took place happened in submission. The greatest act of love ever taken was done in submission to the Father. Remember, these men didn't ask for the authority when they were born. A lot of them didn't ask for the responsibility. But yet it has been charged to them. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, he did ask for it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was charged to them to fulfill their purpose. So don't steal their purpose from them or they will find a new destructive one. Um, first Peter three, one through seven wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give away to what? Fear. Fear of what? Losing control. Fear of not being provided for, not being protected, not being cared for. Mm. Fear is a big motivator for you. Be cautious of it. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that what? Nothing will. Ooh. Your, your, your relationship with God is hurt if you disrespect your relationship with your wife. Here's the biggest question. Maybe I've said that before, but here's another big one Did God know what he was doing when he created you, or did he make a mistake? If you can trust him for salvation, for life and resurrection, if you trust him for the forgiveness of your sin and the power of the Holy Spirit, if you trusted him to provide you with a husband and a family or a church, can you now trust him for your purpose? That his intentions are not to steal from you, but to provide. You are strong and he has made you so. So remember that in your submission, the picture of Christ that you reveal to your family and to the world is crystal clear. And the faith that you hold to in Christ becomes a light, a witness, a testimony that has been given the power to change lives, empower others, and bring glory to God. Women, I'm, I'm sure you probably never thought of your hair as a way to glorify God, but that's exactly what it was created for. See, submission in worship as, is a special glory that you carry for God. Make all of you for all of him, and you will find fulfillment in the purpose you are born for. And men, don't take for granted the responsibility that God has given you. We are prone to abuse it or to ignore it, but as leaders of our families and co-laborers in Christ, we must submit first and foremost to God. Without him, we have no power, no strength, no good within us. But in full submission to God, we bring the order, protection, and leadership that He made us for. In this, we bring glory to God, not to ourselves. I think of, and maybe you can fall back to this in your mind as well. Like maybe when you propose to your to your wife, or you can imagine, that, you know, some kind of um, when a man proposes what. What standing do they have? The man submits himself. He humbles himself before his prospective bride. And when she accepts his, his humility and um, offers him this authority over her life as she receives that ring... Ephesians five twenty one through 27. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Excuse me. And I always say that's, that's, that's the easy part. And I know it doesn't sound like that, but that's the easy part here's what guys get. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now that is a role, a responsibility to carry. One that... We cannot do on ourselves one that God has to do through us. And you pro- you might be saying, "Well, I'm not married. How does this apply to me?" Well, God has established marriage as a picture of Christ in the church. Marriages stand as a testament to how God makes things function. How uh, how the relationship between us and God should be. It is supposed to stand as a as a model. And so it's, it's really up to us married people to submit our marriages to God's directive and his model. So all women need, um, need covering, right? Hair is that covering. But the hair is truly just a symbol of the submission we have to God. So in the case where somebody has cancer or, or they have shorter hair or whatever like that, it is the, the submission to God that is what's important. Just like the lady holding the sign, right? She's got her hair covered, but she is in zero submission to anyone or anything. So the submission of your lives, um, your hair is just an outward adornment of your inner submission to God. But I'll ask you this: if your husband asked you to, <laughs> gonna, if your husband asked you to wear a hair covering, would you do it? Could you? Would it be a sin to 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 honor his request? Hmm. Once again, if you were convicted to wear it, we would we would not condemn, condemn you, but the question again stands. All of you, where is your head? Submit to Christ, and you will find the peace, comfort, security, and purpose, and the freedom that you need. And I'll, I'll add this if anyone finds exception or difficulty with this teaching of Scripture, I encourage you to seek me and the elders out. Um, it is our purpose to support you and to clarify this guidance in, in light of your specific situation. And as always, if there's abuse in any form, that is, that is wrong. It's evil and it's corrupt. And in the same way, you would revolt and stand against a tyrannical government to do what is right. So, the church has the obligation to protect and to rebuke and to lead to restoration those who hurt with words or action or violence. All submission is ultimately to God. So, let's submit to Him. Let's pray. Father, this goes against the the very core of of who this world tries to make us. And, Father, while we were born into sin and and born into this, this character, Lord, you gave all you had. And, Father, Jesus, in his submission, gave his life so that we would be redeemed, Lord. And that we would submit to you. And that under your umbrella of love and protection, we would be able to um, be saved from your wrath, Lord. From the punishment that we deserve. So Father, let us um, not flee from you in our lives, but, but turn to you. And to humble ourselves before your throne. And to as always cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. For you are our Father and we are your children. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.